In today's episode, we're speaking to Jennifer and Sandy. Jennifer and Sandy met in an entrepreneurial program where they bonded as the only woman out of 550 participants. A year later, they accepted, they were accepted into an accelerator program and they became partners. Together, they have co-founded Marvelous, an online teaching platform for creative and wellness entrepreneurs. They've built the company based on their shared values as change makers, feminists, and a little bit of woo. And today's episode, we're speaking to both how um, how Sandy Jennifer transitioned from being a lawyer and uh, a medical practitioner into the world of tech. Let's find out. Money Mindset with Girl Khan podcast will help you to break free from your limiting beliefs, reverse your money shame and blast through your money blocks so that you can live a life of unlimited abundance. In this podcast, we will talk about energy tools and mindset strategies that will help you to understand and change your relationship with money, whether you're in a job, profession or working on your passion. Change your relationship with money to change your life. I'm your host, Gul Khan. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. This is Gul Khan, your money mindset expert. And today I'm so excited. We have the amazing duo, Sandy and Jennifer. Welcome, Jennifer, Sandy. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, so Sandy and Jennifer, people have heard your interest, but one by one, uh, if you start with Jennifer, can you give us um, a, a bit of intro about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am the co-founder of the Marvelous Software Platform, along with Sandy. I'm the CEO, and uh, I came into this profession as an attorney also. I know we have that shared background, and I was a climate change and human rights expert and uh, professor and uh, advocate, I would say, coming into business. Awesome. And you, Sandy? Uh, as I, as Jenny said, I am the co-founder of Marvelous Software as well, and uh, currently in the CMO role. Um, and my background is I have a clinical background. I was like I have a, a degree in kinesiology and biomechanics, and I um, ran a brick and mortar clinic and shoe store and did custom orthotics. I was a certified podiatrist for many, many, many years, and uh, left that to enter the world of online. Wonderful. So quite a different, diverse background, one from the science and one from the legal um, you know, uh, areas. And they, 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 you've married the two things together very, very beautifully as coming together. And that actually explains the success you've had. But if we take a step back, back and individually ask you to share your stories with the audience, you know, where you came from and how did you, how did you find each other? And also, mm-hmm. how do we end up doing this amazing thing you're doing at the moment? So if you start with Jennifer, if you can sort of talk us through your backstory, where did it all start for you? And what made you give up the, your legal profession and come in uh, into this um, new partnership? Yeah, so I don't know if I'm ready to say I gave it up because I don't know that I, I'm ever going to give it up completely. But yeah, so my story is um, from a very young age, I was focused on preserving and protecting the environment. I was one of those children that was very empathetic. I used my birthday and Christmas money to adopt manatees and endangered tigers. And really in high school, so when I was a teenager, I left school, um, honors classes and academic excellence to go and be an activist. And so I was working at a really young age to protect the ancient redwood forests of Northern California. Um, And then realized through that process and then subsequent activist 
um, adventures that I could have more impact by working within the system. At least that's what I thought at the time. So I decided to go to university and then go to law school. Um, I tried to get into the very best schools and programs that I could. So I ended up at Yale and then um, I got a full scholarship for, a, for law school at the University of Washington. I ended up working in the field of climate change and human rights because um, even now, more than a decade later from, from starting that work, we still don't have the legal systems policy policies and institutions ready to address the world that we're all living into right now. Um, and that was really my passion and my entire life for the first few decades of my life. And I was on maternity leave, had my, I have one child and I had, had my daughter and I decided <laughs> very kind of, I would say absent-mindedly or without a lot of good reasons to start a software company. And I'll, I'll just tell you the reason why, um, which might help it make a little bit more sense. I had been fundraising for a long time because the work I was doing was novel. Um, mm -hmm. The projects I was, I, was, I was working on were around the world and in a lot of places that didn't have a lot of resources. So I was working in the Eastern Highlands of Ethiopia, in um, villages in Cambodia and villages in Alaska and the United States. And um, I had to constantly be fundraising to go and, and take on these projects and to lead students um, on pro projects as well. And so the people I was fundraising from were people who had money because of tech companies. So mm -hmm. I was uh, funded for school by the Gates, the Gates family. Um, my scholarship to law school was a gift from Bill Gates to his father, who, was, who had been a, a, a very prominent lawyer in Seattle. And I was constantly fundraising from other wealthy people um, Seattle is the home of Amazon and Microsoft and Starbucks. And um, I just thought, well, I'm on maternity leave. And why don't I figure out how to make my own money so that I don't constantly have to be fundraising from other people to do the work that I want to do in the world? So that was the reasoning behind wanting to start a tech company. Wow. And quite a profound reason, too. And that explains why you had the successful, because you were motivated and highly motivated, which is amazing. So can you share your story now, Sandy? How did you get involved? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, um, as you said, I have a science background and I was always very clinical minded. I wanted to be a physician. Um, that didn't work out. And so I took this alternate route of working in a clinical setting, but I always had this like entrepreneur, like the, the idea of not having a ceiling of how much money I could make. When I learned that concept, it was like, why? Oh, thank God I'm not a doctor. Because um, in, in Canada here, it's all like you get paid by, you know, the government has set your rates. It's not like yeah. in the United States. And so um, I'm so grateful that, that didn't work out because I love the idea of being able to have this open ceiling and making as much money as I want to make. And so this like Pedorthus route, I was able to start my own brick and mortar and have a clinic and have clients and have staff and all of the things. Um, but I actually just, in the, the truest sense, burnt out. I no longer enjoyed it. It wasn't fun. I dreaded waking up every morning. You know, that typical story. Um, and I sold it. And I wanted to do something that was I could make more money at, number one, and that I didn't have half a million dollars tied up in inventory in footwear. Um, and didn't have the hours of nine to nine, right? And so I just, so I looked around and I found this concept of, of building software and naively thought this is passive income. This is going to be amazing. It's going to be so easy. I'm just going to make this thing. And then the money's just going to come pouring in each month with this recurring revenue. I can be home with my son. He was young at the time using in kindergarten or something. And I thought it was just so perfect. So I ended up taking, is it okay if I move into the how we met story now? Yeah. 
So we, uh, both of us individually had these, these stories of a desire to create software for different reasons. And we took a program, a six month program that taught us how to build software. So that was like, get a software company up and running in six months. So we both paid and at the time, it was a really significant investment for us. And we both, in our own worlds, went through the program. I built a software company. Jenny built a software company. And then um, we were, I think there were 600 in the program. And there were, the, the idea was that if you could have paying clients in six months, that you would get to go to this live event. So I was, and Jenny found out later, we were both so motivated to like be the ones that, that built the company, got the paying clients, created a software company in, in six months with paying clients. Oh, my God. And we both did it with two different companies. And we came together at the live event and met each other. And there was, as you can imagine, because it's technology and it's software, there was a lot of young men. Yeah. And then there was, I think like of the 600, I think Jenny, correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's like six of us that actually created the company with paid clients. So two of them were were us. And I think we were, there was like three women that did it. And so we just connected instantly because number one, we were women and, and two, we had succeeded in the task, you know, throughout the course. Yeah. yeah. So we were just instantly, instantly fast friends. And I know Jenny may want to share another element to that story. Go on, Jenny. Yeah. So it, as Sandy said, it was this huge group of mostly men um, who were wanting to make money and start tech companies. And um, we were just a handful of women in this this sea of men. And then only ha only if there were only a handful of us that actually had succeeded in building these companies. And so we already kind of knew of each other. But at this event, we met in Colorado in the mountains. Um, at this live event. And I had just suffered a miscarriage and um, was going through this in this environment that was that I didn't really know anyone. And it was like this really uncomfortable environment. And I sort of was off in the corner, trying not to cry. And Sandy came up to me. And so that's really how we met each other. So it's, it's like the story of like these ambitious women having this successful outcome, but also being like, human with each other. Um, and so it was like this really in intense experience, I think, that that bonded us for life. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. And I, I want to um, sort of point this out. It's not unusual to find um, a lot of the entrepreneurial section, it doesn't matter if it's trading, because I had a similar experience when I was when I went into trading, uh, trading or property enterprise or any kind of uh, entrepreneurial endeavor, it doesn't matter, tech to, you know, brick and mortar. It's really male dominated. And it, there's very few women who actually partake in these, and even fewer who actually complete and actually succeed thereafter. I'm currently in a mastermind where, we, uh, where we're sort of learning how to buy, you know, businesses and, um, and assets. And I would say that the ratio of over there is 70 to 30, 70% men and 30% mm -hmm. women. And the success rates and the success stories that come out up until now is mostly men. There are one or two females, but most of the success stories are men. So this doesn't surprise me that from 600 people, um, there'll be a small minority of women taking um, taking the course and even fewer who actually succeeded and get got to that live event, which is... Uh, even for those, I mean, this people think that you know women don't get intimidated. You know, who are who have this masculine energy, who are ambitious. Like I, I mean, I people wouldn't normally think I get intimidated. But when you're you're the only person, the only you know the only gender for all, one of the few with, with a sea of <laughs> the others, you do have to sort of stop and breathe and like, okay, I can do this. I got this. Even for a moment, and I can imagine that kind of oh, okay, we can do this. 
but you, the, the extra support really comes in handy. So I'm glad you found each other. So then mm-hmm. you both had your individual companies. How was this particular company born? How did that come into existence? Yeah, I'll take I'll take that one. So we met at this event in Colorado and we were both building our own companies. And then we spent about a year just kind of masterminding with each other, staying connected. It was before normal people were using Zoom every day. This was, you know, seven years ago. So we were on Zoom at least once a week, kind of co-working together. I was in the United States and Sandy's in Canada. So across the world, really, across the continent. And um And then it got to the point where my company was starting to get bigger than I could run just on my own. So, which was great. We were having success, but I also kind of took on a pretty ambitious project. And what I was building a tool for was, um, was not a simple software platform. And so I quickly realized that, that this company was outgrowing me and my skill set. And so I decided to apply to tech accelerators because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't, I, I needed guidance and mentorship. And I, I had sort of nowhere to turn for this because my background was legal and, and, and activism and no one I knew an academic and no one I knew knew anything about building a tech company and scaling it. So, um, I got into a, a fantastic accelerator in Seattle and with the caveat that I had to have co-founders because it's one of those things in tech that you learn which I didn't know when we started our companies and our program that you need to have co-founders because one person really cannot build and grow a tech company on their own. You need different skill sets and different resources. So I had this condition that I could come into this program and have access to funding and mentorship and guidance and all kinds of stuff, but I had to have co-founders. I had to have a team. And so I went to Sandy and I said, crazy idea. (laughs) Do you want to join our company. Do you want to join? Do you want to join me in this company? And you, you know, you're going to have to come to the U.S. sometimes, and we're going to have to pitch to investors, and we're going to have to do a big demo day presentation. I, I need you. Do you want to join? And I think it was like not even a decision. Sandy just immediately said yes, and so we convinced the leaders of our accelerator to just let the two of us in. We didn't bring anyone else in really into the team, and um, and so that's how that's how it came to be. Awesome and. I, I, want, I want to step back for a second, just for a second for both of you. I know you had reasons for coming into this. Um, and the, when, when, I, when you start the conversation, I when I said to you, you know, how about leaving your legal profession? We say, well, I'll never leave it. I know how that feels because I'm still a lawyer. It doesn't matter if I'm practicing as one or not. I'm qualified mm-hmm. three and I will remain with all three jurisdictions. But I am no longer a lawyer. I'm now a business owner with multiple other identities. How how was that, you know, leaving that part of your, yourself and going into community mobile? And this is a question for both of you, because a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast would be professionals like yourselves in corporate environment who are either because they're, they're high achievers and they've achieved a certain level of success in their corporate, uh, in their jobs, but could be either your reason, Jennifer, or could be for yours, uh, your reason, Sandy, that they, they, for whatever reason, they are now either disillusioned or it's now time to change careers because what they got out of their career was enough and they're they're having burnout or they want to or they're, they're not thinking that 80 hour a week is good enough reason for them to um you know uh, for, for them to make a couple of hundred thousand a year they can make a lot more working for themselves with similar hours but a lot of them are married to their identity as mm-hmm. a lawyer as an mm-hmm. doctor as a physician how did you separate yourself because i remember i struggled with it in the early days when, who are you i'm a lawyer and mm-hmm. i'm like oh, no i'm not mm-hmm. actually now how do you how did you two disconnect with that because until you let go of the identity 
it's very difficult for you to take on the identity of a business owner, CEO, an entrepreneur, because the two identities clash. One is an employee mindset and the other is entrepreneurial and they do clash. So do you want to take in turns and tell me how did you get around this? You want to yeah, go, Sandy? I, yeah, sure. Yeah, we, I, I I think it's so common for women to really wrap their identity into their profession, and I I remember when I started. I so it's it's of course it's hard to leave an, a a profession, especially one that you've spent a lot of time training in and spent a lot of money. And it's like you're a lawyer. I am a, a I was a podorthist. Like that was you know I was really proud of that, and I created this whole company around it. And then I was leaving and people judge you for that because like yeah. you've made it, you've done this thing. Why on earth would you Why do you that? Crazy? Why are you leaving your job? Yeah. Why are you, yeah. you were too hard for it. You, you, you did all these years of study and spent all that money getting to that level. So now you're walking Why? away from it. Yeah. yeah. And so I would say, people would say, so what do you do? And I say, I would say, well, I run two software companies, but I use, I have a bachelor of science in biomechanics and I used to have this store and I would give you this like five minute explanation of what I did, including my past career, because somehow my, I really believe that that's who I was. And I didn't want anyone to think that I have my bachelor of science biomechanics degree to go to waste because, oh my God, you know, that would be horrible if someone were to think that. And it was just so interesting that it was really for me, it was time to like let that drop and step into running a soft two software companies, which, you know, is pretty damn cool. Like what, what was my problem back then? Right. Right? (laughs) But I just, I didn't know anybody that did it. I thought they would judge me. It's, I'm not a lawyer, but I have a, a science background and it was the same thing. Like, why would you not use your degree and why would you sell the, an existing business that was doing well. And for me, it was like, there is more, there is more for me. I have the capacity to do more and this existing career. I've done it. I've checked the boxes. It's not no longer fun and I need something new. And I just had to learn that about myself that one of my values is, is play. And if it's no longer fun, like I've done it, I've done everything in this career. Now I need to do something else. I need to struggle. I need to learn. I need to try. I need to grow. I need to, to evolve into something else. That's where I want to play. And when that, even in this job, if that starts to come to an end, I will, you know, leave and do, do something else. And that's really now my identity is this sort of serial entrepreneur that is just always looking for that place where I can continue to learn and have fun. And the moment that it ends, I have to, I have to leave. I hope you are enjoying today's episode. If you want to learn more about my mindset strategies and energy tools to help you change your money mindset, then please register for my Abundance Mindset Makeover Workshop by visiting www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com. See you inside the workshop. And how about you, Jennifer? How did you let go of this identity? So I haven't totally let go of it, which is why I I gave the caveat in the beginning. So for me, being a lawyer was not like a career identity as much as it was a tool in a bigger toolbox for me. So I still identify as an activist and I always will. And I, I think that that's what we bring to our company as well. Like we ha- we're very mission driven and what we're doing, we're trying to create a tool that's empowering primarily women creators. Um, and so I also will volunteer on cases as long as I have capacity and when it makes sense. Like I don't, I, for me, I think it's like a, um, it's a really powerful tool 
in some ways inside sometimes, and sometimes it's not the most powerful tool to achieve the outcome that you have. And so I, I, I sort of just, I've learned to see it that way, but early on, I will relate very much to what both of you have said. And I had a lot of shame, um, with building a company because in the circles that I ran in, that was shameful. I mean, everyone either worked in government or for an NGO or was an academic. And so this idea of going to make money and not focusing every waking minute of my life on doing something that was socially acceptable to the circles of people that I, you know, spent time with was really hard for me. So I kind of hit it, honestly, for a couple of years. Like, I didn't really update my LinkedIn. I didn't really post anywhere on my Facebook. Like, it was kind of underground for me. And Sandy knows this because we worked through it a lot together. Like, I just had a tremendous amount of shame where I had had a career for a long time where people would come up to me and say, like, I admire you so much. And I, you have so much courage. I could never do what you do. And then to go from that to building a company, I lost that kind of external validation, but, um, I had to learn how to give it to myself. Agreed. And I think, I mean, cause I'm a money mindset expert. I think I focus a lot around shame around money. There's a lot mm-hmm. of shame around making money. Yeah. And this- is even more so for professional women because we're not out there to make money. We're out there to make a contribution. We're out there to, um, you know, make a difference in life and prove to maybe to ourselves, maybe to people around us that we're worthy of being more than just um, housemakers or whatever because that's, that's a kind of identity we grew up with with, with our mothers and especially in their 50s and 60s and so forth. However, and there's what I find is as you for, for the exact reason why you wanted to build the tech company, Jennifer, you can do so much more with money. When you, instead of going asking for money, if you can create that money yourself, it gives you so much freedom to go and make those contributions, to make those projects happen and have the freedom to make them happen when you make vast sums of money. Because money becomes an amazing tool to use, actually equate to being a friend, but if you see as a friend, it can really help you to move forward in projects because at the end of the day, money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It's how you use it. Unfortunately, it's our programming around it. And especially as women, we, and professional women are that, we should be focused on contribution, not necessarily on how much paycheck we get, because then you're greedy and arrogant and self-centered, et cetera. And the image that pops into our brains is, you know, something like, uh, I don't know if you guys watch Friends, but I grew up watching Friends and I loved it. But the episode where Phoebe becomes, uh, you know, going from her airy fairy, you know, spiritual person to, uh, uh, you know, uh, the economist or I think the finance director or something. And she's burnout because, you know, she's going after money all the time. That's the image that we have of professional. Mm-hmm. Not true, but unfortunately we've grown up with that kind of image, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Going back to this company now. So what are your goals? What are you aiming to drive from this tech company that you're both working on together? What are the What's the what's the uh, what's the aim behind it, and what's the goal? Well, definitely to make money, but I'd say our mission is really to empower female and non-binary creators to make a living on the internet. So the tools that we all use every day are primarily made by young men, and they're backed by investors that are representing a certain set of interests. And, yeah. you know, we all, we, we all know about the biases that are built into tech products. Um, we, you, we read the stories and hear the stories. And 
so our particular position is that as women, we have an opportunity and an obligation to create tools for people like us. So there are certain aspects to the way we develop our platform and how we market our platform and who we serve with our platform that are, um, that are different than what anyone else is doing. So we make decisions about, for example, how and when we build gamification into our tool, how we price and market is different. Um, we have, because we are primarily bootstrapped and we were self-funded for most of our history, we don't have to answer to any kind of external panel or set of advisors or investors. And so we're able to make decisions that are right for us and for our customers and clients. So, um, I mean, I could get into the specifics of any of that, but essentially that's not how tech is built. (laughs) Tech is really built um, to... I mean, we say eat the world. And, and I think that that's like a common phrase. Like technology companies are often not profitable. Like they're, they're, the business models behind tech companies are um, pretty atrocious. And those of us that have real businesses would never identify <laughs> with any kind of business objective. Like it's, it's this idea of like just getting people to use something, getting eyeballs on something and figuring out how to monetize it later, which I think is really dangerous to our culture. So, so I, mean, I have very limited experience of, of tech companies. I, I've been in the legal arena or the property or um, you know, like other entrepreneurial endeavors. I haven't touched, um, you know, or even thought of starting a tech company. So I wouldn't know. So I wasn't familiar with this, that, 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 that you know, the, the common sense thing is if you're opening a tech company, the goal should be to make profit. Why no, would no, you no. absolutely not. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. No, the, the goal is to get users, right, which which is a, is a problematic word, I, I would say, for a lot of reasons. The goal is to get eyes and attention. And that's the primary objective with this, with this idea that you can figure out what to do with that later, that that's the most valuable resource on the internet is attention. So if you think about, if you think about it um, and, and you look at the most successful tech company right now in the world, which, which I would say is TikTok, mm-hmm. like their metrics are how long someone stays looking at TikTok, right? How long can you get someone's attention? And then the the business model behind that is obviously advertising. But yeah, yeah but for many tech companies, that advertising piece of it never really works out. <laughs> like it never is, is, is incredibly profitable. It has to have a whole bunch of circumstances magically aligned for that to happen. So we, what happens is these, these companies are funded in many cases with, with tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars and sometimes billions of dollars before they're ever seen any kind of revenue, let alone profit. Like most of them never, ever get to profitability. And so, um, the only way that they stay in business is by getting, selling this story that one day there's going to be this profitable outcome. If they can just pour more money in and get more eyes and get people sort of more addicted to their product, that eventually that piece will work itself out. I mean, we see this happening with Twitter. Like I, we, you know, we don't need to get so far into it, but like, we just don't question these things, these big behemoth tech companies that are out there. Many of them are not sound businesses. And so like, how is that possible that, that, that they exist? <laughs> like what, what structures have we created and what, like cultural system have we created that allows that to be the picture of success? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't know. Being in the online space, I suppose, uh, attention does require, attention is currency. Attention is the mm-hmm. new currency at the moment because we are bombarded with different uh, mediums throughout our day. Um, mm-hmm. TV has come to the bottom at the moment, actually. Uh, Netflix has come to the forefront, uh, along with Netflix's other competing factors, YouTube and different forms of YouTube. And then there's TikTok and there's YouTube Shorts and God knows a whole array of different things. And, and there's a new... Uh, from what I understand, I think there's a new social media platform coming out every other week or something with some must fail, some makes you go take off. And yeah, it, it's all about the currency and how you can monetize the currency once you have it. I think mm-hmm. that's the key. But coming back, bringing this back into women, how how are you, how is your product, how is your services supporting women? You said it's it, mm-hmm. so how do you do that? I mean, that, I'm still unclear as to that. Yeah, so I can, and Sandy, if you want to chime in, feel free to interrupt me, but essentially the majority of the creator economy, so the influencers and creators selling digital products or services are women. It's depending on where you look, it's upwards of 80%, 70 to 80% of creators are women. More women than men. That's that's the thing, isn't it? Mm Because usually when you think of entrepreneurs and doing any brick and mortar or the traditional um, entrepreneurial endeavors, it's, it's 80% men and 20, maybe 20, maybe now 30% women, but the content creation is 80% women. That's, that's yeah. Fine. yeah. And so what's really interesting is that only about 2% of the investment is going to companies that have at least one woman founder. So the, the, wow. so the, the, this is a, an industry that's dominated by women, but the tools that are being created for this industry are not being created by women. And interestingly enough is that um, male creators by and large are making more money than women, even though there's far fewer of them. And so you know, I have a grand theory about this. And so I'll try to put it into a small bite-sized piece here, but essentially women, I think are identified more as influencers. So how can women make money by selling or promoting other people's things? And men are seen more as creators, even though that's not in fact true. (laughs) Women are creators too. Um, And so men create their own things and sell them. And so the tools that are being created are, um, like social media platforms where women are making all this content and yet being paid very little as influencers to promote the content. So they're not making a living wage by engaging in this new creator economy. So what we've done is we've created a platform where the pricing is all very clear and transparent. Um, It's a flat fee monthly or, or annually to use our tool. And then all of the money that someone makes by being a creator goes to them. So we don't take a cut. We don't focus on you know, seeing women, we don't, we don't play like a middleman role. We're essentially like a backend tool. And then what we do and where we focus a lot of our attention as a company is creating resources to help our customers and prospective customers succeed and build real businesses. So people can actually pay their rent, buy food for their families, grow their wealth. We're in the, we're in the business of um, creating a tool whereby our customer success reflects our success. Mm, what a wonderful idea you want to add something I just want to add like we started with the tool which Jenny just explained but we very quickly realized that women need more than the tool right they need to understand how to make money how to price how to think about money is you know the work that you do um, so we added on some coaching programs to help women succeed with the tool because the tool alone, it can be amazing and fantastic and perfect, but it does not make a business. You have to power it with the thinking and the beliefs behind it to go out there and do the work. 
So we, we have this, I think a really cool blend now of, yes, we've got the tool. This is what you can deliver your programs and sell and collect the money, but let us support you in addition to thinking about yourself, understanding the value of your programming. How do you price it? How do you market it? How do you be visible? How do you accept money? How do you ask for this? All of that women just break down when it comes like they love the idea like I really want this business and I'm really good at what I do and I'm so excited to get out there and I'm going to help all these people but the moment that they're faced with marketing and selling and asking it's like they just crumble and they procrastinate or they drop into perfectionism or all these other things that just avoid doing the work and they actually have businesses that are more like side hobbies that don't support them. And I think this blend of like understanding how women's brains work when it comes to running a business and a tool that makes sense for them is a really, really magical combination. I think so too. I think this is, see, I always say business is 80% mindset and energy yeah. and 20% strategy, simple as that. And you can take any business model and make it work if you have the right mindset and energy around it, as simple as that. And mm-hmm. if you if you don't have the right mindset, you're literally chasing your tail half the time because you won't even get started. Half the time you're stuck in procrastination or you move from one angle to the other and it's a very slow, laborious, painful process, especially as I think one of the major things is because we are coming out there. Hopefully, hopefully we're teaching, uh, Jennifer, yesterday you had a daughter, um, hopefully we're teaching our daughters something different um, but unfortunately even though we have gone on to become professional women ourselves our, we see ourselves as primarily as caregivers and I know that I had that mindset once I became mom I that was it my identity was I am a mother first and um, and I and still see myself as mom first but temporarily, like at the moment, because my kids are little, I've now added in the temporarily because I can't get rid of the mom first, but I've added it temporarily because my kids need my attention more at the moment. As soon as they're off to university, when I kick out the last one to university, um, metaphorically speaking, of course, um, my role will be, uh, you know, I'll come back to being a mother, uh, to a mother second and a woman or entrepreneur first. So I think this is one of the major issues that we as women have, that we are, even if we don't have children, we are going to be the care providers first, be it partners, other people around us, and professional entrepreneurs second. I think this is something that we need to work on. So I think it's great that you are doing the mindset work along with providing the two. Well, on that note, we're going to take a wrap. I think we're going to have you guys back and we're going to talk on my talkie segment and get your some advice from you. But for, for um, coming on today, thank you so much. Do you have any closing remarks for us, Jennifer or Sandy? Well, thank you, Gil, for having us. I would say the closing remark is just be ambitious. I know that that's what you tell your audience. And I think that that is absolutely an appropriate response for women. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious. It makes you strong and beautiful and filled with opportunity. Yeah. And anything is possible. Like whatever you can dream dream up is actually possible for you. I love that. And I'm going to end with this. There's a Bob Proctor saying, which I'm a big Bob Proctor fan, may he rest in peace, that if you can see it with your eyes and you can believe it with your heart, you can hold it with your hand. And I mm-hmm. think you definitely prove that point. That you definitely can. doesn't matter about your gender, your age, your profession. If you have a dream, you can make it happen. Well, thank you so much. And uh, for those of you listening to us on the podcast, we will have the links for Jennifer and Sandy so you can connect with Jennifer and Sandy um, through their website. Actually, do you want to give your links to Jennifer and Sandy? We'll have them on the show notes. But do you want to give the links where they can connect with you? Sure. Yes. Our website for our platform is heymarvelous.com. And if you go to heymarvelous.com slash money mindset, we have a link to get a free version of our tool, which is our, our LinkedIn bio tool called marvelous.bio. So you can go ahead and go there. And then we also have a podcast where we talk about our business journey and it's, and she spoke is the name of our podcast. 
Fabulous, wonderful. So if you are listening to us on the podcast, remember we'll have both the links there in the show notes for you. And if you're watching us on YouTube, then down below in the description section, we will have the links again to, to their website as well as their um, uh, the individual will get their, their, their social media handles as well. Thank you so much, Jennifer and Sandy. Thank you for being such an amazing guest. I'm truly inspired. And I look forward to our next discussion on Money Talkies. Thank you so much. Thanks so Thank much. You. And thank you for listening to me and Sandy and Jennifer today. I will be back with another amazing guest um, sharing their life journey and finding out how they change their life by changing their mindset. Until the next time we meet, this is Gul Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now. If you want to learn more about my energy tools and mindset strategies, then please visit my website www.gulkhan.com. And if you want to take part in our five-day abundance mindset makeover workshop, where I deep dive into energy tools for abundance, then please go to www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com and register. I look forward to being your mentor in the next workshop. And if you want to learn about the spiritual laws of money, then go and get my book, Laws of Money, from www.lawsofmoney.com. Until the next time we meet, this is Gul Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now.